come to us. Let us help you figure out what the value of your product is so that when you take it back to market, you can be successful. Welcome to Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. I'm Dr. Jen Barna, and I want to take a moment today to thank you for being here with us on the podcast. We are so fortunate to have amazing, interesting physicians who are living their best lives and doing so much in addition to the typical work schedule. And I have a fantastic example of that here with me today, Dr. Brian Rothstein the Director of Pediatric Skull Base and Neuro-Oncologic Surgery at Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital, and the Director of Neurosurgical Innovation for the Department of Neurosurgery at University Hospital's Cleveland Medical Center. He's an Assistant Professor of Neurosurgery at Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine and is the Chief Medical Officer for UH Ventures, where he serves as the Chief Clinical Advisor supporting their platform. Dr. Brian Rothstein, welcome to Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. Thanks, Jen. Great to be here. Really excited to have the opportunity to chat with you today. Well, thank you. I'm very excited to chat with you and hear about everything you've been doing at Case Western Reserve, especially to hear about UH Ventures, which is something that is very exciting that you guys have going on there. And I think it's really a model for other institutions. And so I'd love to hear a little bit of a review about what that is and how you became interested in it. Certainly. Again, thanks very much for having me. Very exciting to be able to share our story at University Hospitals and UH Ventures. We are the innovation, commercialization, and venture capital or investment platform for our healthcare system. And we're really lucky because you're right, we are a little bit unique. I think there's a lot of venture capital groups that are coming out of large healthcare systems. And I think that there are plenty of innovation groups that are, you know, part of large healthcare systems. And I think really where we've been able to differentiate ourselves in the marketplace and the ecosystem is that we're blending both. And really the way we think about who we are and and how we work with our colleagues here at University Hospitals in Cleveland, Ohio, is how do we help people cultivate their great ideas? How do we empower our clinicians? And when I say clinicians, I mean everybody who works in our healthcare organization, whether you're an EVS worker to a nurse, to a practicing physician or an administrator. If you work at the hospital here, you're a clinician and we value what you bring to the table. How we bring your great ideas into the fold that will one, either inform the way we think about creating new products and services, or help us understand where the gaps in our care delivery systems are so that we can go out into the ecosystem and find solutions that we can bring into university hospitals to solve those problems. And all of that work then really informs our investment thesis. And where are we making smart strategic partnerships where we could benefit both university hospitals as well as our strategic partners to make an investment in their platform? That's really kind of in the shortest version I can give you kind of who we are as UH Ventures. It seems like as clinicians, we are super busy and engaged with the work that we have at hand every day. And it seems very common for us to remark to each other like, oh, wouldn't this product be better if, you know, in the mammography world, my techs and I are always joking, like this biopsy table must have been designed by men. (laughs) It's not comfortable. 
And there are, are ways you could improve that. And we're always talking about that. But of course, we don't have time in our schedules to make that happen. And so what you're doing sounds especially interesting to me, because I think there are so many people who are out on the front lines with great ideas. And the question is how to help them to get involved in the process of bringing an idea to reality, ultimately to improve patient care. And is that who you see as the entrepreneurs that are coming in? Or do you have a way to help a busy clinician who has an idea to bring that idea into a product? Or do you have people who are already having developed products coming to you and getting further financial investment in their product? Great questions. And the answer is yes to both. Really kind of the role that we play in our healthcare system is that of helping inspire a culture of innovation. And that culture of innovation, to your point, could come from a mammography tech. And it's funny because I actually had this conversation literally two weeks ago around mammography and how, yes, everything about the system had to have been designed by a man. And how if you haven't actually seen a mammography table and the way that the system works, it doesn't resonate. But once you walk in and you see it, it's like, that can't be comfortable. That can't work ergonomically, right? There's so many constraints to the way that the system is designed. And certainly it works for what it's designed for, but it'd probably be better. And so the answer is yes. When we have a clinician who works, you know, as a mammography tech or someone who works on a front line who sees a challenge with the way that the Alaris pump is working and they have an idea for a solution to that problem. We ask them to bring those solutions to us. And we ask them to bring them in the form of a question or a problem statement, say, this is the challenge that I'm having. Because in design thinking and design theory, it's really easy to come up with a solution, but that solution doesn't always necessarily really address the root of that problem. So what we really try to do is educate our teams here at university hospitals around the concept of what is human-centered design, what is design thinking, and how do we tease out what is the problem statement or what are the how might we questions, right? How might we fix this problem? And it's really fun and engaging, and it really gives people a chance to come to us with a really simple, literal back-of-the-napkin idea right? I was sitting in the cafeteria and I've been having this problem with X system in the hospital or this type of patient or this disease process, or I'm a surgeon and the tools that I have just aren't adequate for what I'm trying to accomplish. I drew this picture. I think it could be a game changer in orthopedic surgery, but I don't know what to do. And that's what our team is there for. And they'll evaluate that idea. We'll do some market diligence and understand what's the real need, what's the real opportunity. Interview that person who came with the idea. We have something called an invention disclosure form where we allow our clinicians to protect their ideas, right? If we can find something that's really novel, it should be, you know, protected intellectual property, right? And potentially patentable. So we go from the ground level of the back of the napkin idea and picture all the way up to the way that you asked the second part of the question, someone who actually was in their garage tinkering and built their own prototype. That's happened too. We had somebody who was very unhappy with the mobility of children who are ventilated. And it's very hard for toddlers who have trachs who need to be able to move around their home if they're vent dependent with tracheostomies. And 
they came up with a really cool idea of something they built in their garage and they brought it into the venture suite and said, hey, can we actually make this into a product that we could use? And so, you know, from that, we call this homegrown inside out pathway. It doesn't matter where the idea comes from in terms of who has the idea or what the idea is. Everybody gets that attention to be able to say, could this really transform the way that we deliver care? Or could it transform the engagement or the experience that our patients can have if we were to use something like this? And we try to put that lens on it because our goal is to find the greatest ideas no matter where they come from. And sometimes really small ideas turn into really incredible big things. And those could be service line changes. Those could be care delivery models. They could be new care pathways. They could be products and services or devices. It could be an app. It could be a AI algorithm with machine learning that transforms the way that we manage our blood utilization in the hospital. Those are all examples of things that have grown out of the UH ecosystem through the Ventures platform. If I'm hearing you correctly, and I love the examples that you've given, it sounds like asking the right question at the beginning of the process is a critical step. Would you say that that's the case? Absolutely. And I think that we try to create a culture around learning as well. And we have great partners, both locally inside of university hospitals within the ventures team who are experts at that. We have folks who have PhDs in design thinking. We have people who are industrial designers and engineering backgrounds who can really help us tease out those key pieces of that question. But we also dedicate a tremendous amount of time to education. We have recurring innovation days that happen where we can introduce themes and concepts. We have a program called Innovation on Tap, where we actually host a lunch and learn, if you will, where we teach about design thinking, about human-centered design, about IP, how to protect your IP, how to think about ideas, how to ask good questions. We host full you know, day-long events that are just devoted towards innovation in particular realms of healthcare. And so you know, we're really lucky in that we have a lot of support from our healthcare system, as well as donors. We have been able to recently receive a gift from Ellen and Mike Foyer. Mike Foyer was the founder of Office Max. He's a Clevelander and he is a true innovator, right? And in his time, I mean, he created that big box store that didn't exist before. And he sees the value of the smallest idea. So he actually, he and his wife donated a really large sum of money for us to create our own incubator. And to that point around how do you ask the right question, we actually do a call for ideas four times a year where we go out to the entire system and we say, hey, what's your idea? Bring it to us. We review it. We go through it with Mr. Foyer and our chief medical officers and also our CEO of our system, Dr. McGarian. And Dr. McGarian and Mike pick the winners and we fund their projects. So we try to take an idea and a question and we try to turn it into something real. And that's really kind of the exciting part about what we're doing within ventures from an innovation perspective. My first question is, is it limited to Case Western Reserve, Cleveland as a metropolitan area, or what are the limitations? For these funding mechanisms that we have in place currently, they are local, meaning it's within University Hospitals, Cleveland Medical Center, and then our surrounding hospitals. So University Hospitals Health System is a very large regional healthcare system. We have more than 20 hospitals. So every single one of our employees gets the message and can participate in this. You know, it's really nice. So 
We have other mechanisms where we can engage with and partner with Case Western Reserve University. Um, we have a very close relationship with their tech transfer office. And as one of our primary academic affiliates from a university perspective, you know, from a biomedical engineering perspective, neurosciences perspective, all of those things, we have mechanisms to share IP, right? And do things together and ensure that great ideas come to the light of day. But really, these particular things that we just talked about really are UH-specific opportunities. Say someone is in your system and they come to you with an idea, how much ownership do they retain of that idea in terms of partnering with an incubator or with other parts of the UH Ventures, for example? How does that work in terms of individual retainment of IP? Great question. And it's a really common question. And we are really fortunate here at UH. We have a really generous policy as it pertains to how one, we protect IP and the fact that there's very little cost to the entrepreneur to protect that IP. And number two, what they retain, which is essentially 50% ownership. Okay. And, you know, we're very different. A lot of healthcare systems don't allow their clinicians to maintain that large of a percentage of ownership. And specifically from a royalty perspective, if we actually were to build something together and commercialize it and take it to market, you essentially own 50% of the royalty stream that comes from that product that you developed. So we tried very hard and have been very fortunate to create an atmosphere that really values the clinician's participation in innovation and entrepreneurialism. And you know we're lucky because we're different. There's a lot of other healthcare systems who aren't as generous to their clinicians. There are others who are more generous. And I think that there's always a bell curve and where you kind of fall. You know, we at UH Ventures, we have a desire to help create alternative revenue streams that can flow back to our institution. And those come from the commercialization of products and services. Those come from developing things with outside companies who come to us. That's one area we haven't really discussed yet is the, I found a gap in the services that we have we can't build it ourselves, but there's this great company that has this app or this algorithm that we could use. And we invite them to come to present to our care providers, say, could this fill that gap? And if it does, is it a fully baked idea? Is it an early stage company? Do they need some help in thinking about how does it actually roll into a clinical workflow? Because a lot of these startup companies don't have clinicians on their team. They may have an advisor or a CMO, those types of things, but they may not necessarily have all of that data that they need to help make good decisions around workflow, you know, physician efficiency, the extra click problems, you know, all of those pieces that make workflow and what we're doing on a day-to-day basis from a clinical perspective, really challenging. And so We'll partner with these companies that are early stage and we'll help them evolve their technology or evolve their product from a co-development perspective. And sometimes that means that we end up with some ownership stake in the company just because of the work that we're doing together. And it also then permissions us to consider making an investment as well. So we're really trying to find any way possible to inspire innovation and entrepreneurialism in our entire ecosystem. So That second question is though, although a lot of the incubators and the awards that we have are UH specific awards, the way that we work within our local environment and try to inspire people to want to participate in delivery of care, and most importantly, in bettering the health and well-being of our community, 
really puts us in a unique position to be a great anchor partner. It sounds like a huge opportunity for startups that could help your hospital system in addition to clinicians within your hospital system. Absolutely. And I think that it's nice because we represent what most hospitals look like across this country. And so we have partners that are local, regional, national, and international. And, you know, a lot of times they're just looking to get that experience in a friendly environment where they can learn and evolve their product and it'll help them when it comes to the sales cycle elsewhere. We like to consider ourselves the living laboratory and laboratory in a different sense than many clinicians think about it from the bench research side or the chemical side, but really come to us, let us help you figure out what the value of your product is so that when you take it back to market, you can be successful. That's what we love seeing our partners be successful. Can you tell me an example of a partner that has come through UH Ventures and has had success? Maybe give me an example or two of those. So I can give you two examples, one that's from inside and one that's from outside. I think it's always nice to kind of think about the dichotomy of perspective there. So one of the companies that came from outside that we actually did a lot of work with very early on, and they recently had an exit, is a company called Conversa. Conversa is a chatbot tool that really helps with facilitated conversation in healthcare. And, you know, we partnered with them about three years ago, very early stage, included an investment in the company, wanting to use their technology and kind of help think about the evolution of their technology. And for better or for worse, actually, COVID really became a pivotal moment in that company's life cycle. And the work that we did together to create our screening tools for symptomatic screening for our employees, really Conversa became the way that our employees did their screening every day. And so it was a great opportunity for us to leverage the technology and really kind of push it forward and work very closely with them as a partner. And I really believe, and this is a selfish belief, but that the role that we played with them as a partner organization really helped them continue to grow and really kind of inform the success that they had in terms of an exit very early in their life cycle. Another company that's a local company, that's our company, it goes back to that conversation where I talked a little bit about blood management. We have a company that we spun out of UH Ventures called Hemaptics, and their platform is called Hemologics. And what it is, it was an idea that actually came from an administrator that said, our blood utilization isn't great, right? We ordered too much blood transfusion. And not necessarily for the right reasons. It's a systemic problem in healthcare today. And not a lot of people have been able to solve that problem. And we actually looked outside of our organization to try to find a partner like a Conversa of the world or, you know, another company that existed that was looking into this problem that we could bring in to either just buy their technology to use it or, you know, work together. And we literally could not find a single platform that was addressing the kind of root cause challenges that we were having with regard to blood utilization and blood management. So one of our critical care physicians got together with one of our nurse managers and one of our folks who work in the managers of the blood bank and one of our IT experts. And they said, okay, if we were going to build something, what would it look like? And they did. It took them two and a half years to go through iteration and design, developing the algorithms but they built a product that is now available for sale in the marketplace. And it is a blood utilization management tool based upon algorithms that provides both dashboards to clinicians and as well as a platform for education. So I could go to you as a clinician who's ordering blood transfusions and I could show you, listen, 
if you look at the way that you order blood transfusions as compared to your peers, you're actually an overutilizer. And here's why you're an overutilizer. So it doesn't create a punitive conversation. It creates an educational opportunity for me to educate you to say, listen, I get why you ordered it. I can see all the reasons why, but maybe if you thought about X, Y, and Z criteria, it might change your decision to order a blood transfusion for this patient. And so it's just an example of how a homegrown mandate, it wasn't really an idea. It was like, we need to do better, right? We need to do a better job of being stewards of blood turned into a product that's now commercially available. Fantastic. What interesting examples. I love hearing about those. I think a lot of physicians get so sort of engrossed in the grind of every day that it's easy to lose that feeling of purpose in what we do. And when you have something like this that you're doing in addition to your work as a physician in your specialty, I think it gives you that extra something that you're looking forward to that you're really enjoying every single day in your work in a different way than you enjoy the work that you do in your specialty. So it gives you kind of that extra incentive to just want to be there and want to be involved. So I'm curious how you came to this particular interest and how that influences your work in neurosurgery. Certainly. I think those are great questions. It comes down to the fact that I've always been a tinker and someone who likes to ask questions. My background actually is not that of healthcare or science. I actually went to undergraduate business school. I studied marketing and advertising, and that's where I started my career actually in sports management. And after you know a couple of years of working in that field, I just recognized that it wasn't where I wanted to be long-term. And so it was a very selfish decision, but I just wanted to be doing more for other people. And my dad was a pediatric gastroenterologist, and I was like, never do I ever want to be a doctor. And I know what his lifestyle is like. He's leaving in the middle of the night, not around. But it actually turned out that he was really just an incredible role model from that perspective. And it had a lot of silent influence on me. And when I finally realized that medicine was the right path, I went to medical school. And from the moment that I was in medical school, I started asking questions like, why do we do it this way? You know, it's a classic business approach to things and trying to solve problems and trying to be evolutionary in the way that we do things, not necessarily transformative, but why do we do it this way? Why do we educate this way? Why do we document this way in the medical record? Why do we use these products in the operating room as opposed to these ones? Because these ones cost a lot less and they do the same thing. So all throughout my education and residency, I did a lot of kind of cost analysis work, a lot of kind of innovation work from a service design perspective. How do we bring new services to our patients that they don't otherwise get? And it really just sparked this kind of creative juices that I was missing from my old career in business that not that you can't be creative in medicine, but really in a different way. And it was a natural evolution. As a resident, I began working with what was the early version of UH Ventures, which was called UH Innovations. So I spent some time with them during my research years in residency. And after I came back from fellowship, I just knocked on the door and I was like, hey, I don't know what I can help with, but I love the things that you guys are doing. You're meeting with startup companies, you're, you know, having startup challenges, you know, you're an incubator, like just it all sounded, for lack of a better description, really cool. I was like, can I just play in the sandbox? Can I be a part of all of this? And I started off by volunteering my time. You know, when you're building a practice, fortunately, especially in pediatric neurosurgery, it takes some time to get busier. And 
I had the time to dedicate and I just got involved. And I just said, listen, put me on the meeting. I'll happily show up. I'm happy to give my perspective. I like to ask hard questions. And it just organically grew into a really unique opportunity for me that evolved to the role that I have today. And to answer your specific question, I literally have the best job in the world. I get to do what I love clinically, which is to take care of children and their families who have neurologic illness. Yet I also get to work with all of my partners in our healthcare system to help them be fun, creative, and innovative thinkers about how we influence our community. Because when I made that decision to go from being in business to being in healthcare, I wanted to help people. And what I think sometimes we get very tunnel vision around is when we pick a specialty, you know, we help one person at a time. And for some people, that's great. And they love that. What I realized is that although I like doing that, I really like trying to help everybody. And so I get to do both now. I get to fix problems in children who have neurologic illness, hopefully most of the time, and help them and their families get well and improve their quality of life and the longevity of their life in certain situations, which is an unbelievably rewarding opportunity to have. And I'm humbled every day by the opportunity to help participate in their care. But then we get to think globally in the venture suite. And how do we affect the microcosm that is university hospitals? A little bit macro perspective, the city of Cleveland and Cuyahoga County, a little bit more macro. How do we use the leverage, the power that we have within our institution to affect the region? And then hopefully we are able to participate in some form of transformative care delivery change that affects lots of people around the country and potentially the world. It's just exciting and it's invigorating. And as much as I love my three children and my wife and our two dogs and our cat at home, there's not a single day that goes by that I'm like begrudgingly walking to work or, you know, leaving my car. It's just such an exciting time to be a part of healthcare innovation. And I just feel so lucky to have the opportunity that I have. That is fantastic. Well, how do you balance that? Like, how do you balance the home life and the work life? Or do you? Do you find that you just... You love the work and you work all the time or what's your take on the balance of it all? I will openly say I'm learning. It's still pretty early in my career from a practicing perspective. And I think every day is an evolution. In general, I split my time. I'm 60% clinical, 40% administrative. But as we both know, clinical takes whatever responsibility it takes. And sometimes that's 100% of the time. And sometimes the administrative work requires more time, energy, and effort. One thing that I learned from my dad is that I wanted to be present and accounted for. And although he wasn't home all the time, when he was home, he was present and accounted for. And obviously cell phones were very different back then when I was a kid as they are now. So I have to remind myself to put it somewhere where I can't see it unless I'm on call. And I try really hard. And my wife helps me remember that piece of it because there's always more emails to check and there's always more things to be doing. But I really try hard to say at the end of the day, I'm going home to be with my family and to be with my kids and be engaged until bedtime. And after bedtime, if there's more work to be done, then I'll get back on the computer and do more work. But a mentor of mine taught me that it is possible to not do work at home as long as you're really diligent with your time during the day. And I haven't figured that one out yet, but I aspire to be able to do that. And then to answer the specific question, it all depends on the week. If I'm on call, I tend to be more clinical, but try to participate as much as I can in adventures related activities. And when I'm not on call, you know, my schedule works out that I have kind of an every other day set up where clinical day, ventures day, clinical day, but sometimes they overlap. And 
what I'm fortunate to have is an unbelievable group of leaders within the ventures team. And our entire team just understands that for me, my clinical role is my number one priority always. And no one ever asks a question. No one ever blinks an eye if Brian is not there. They know that I'm there in spirit and that I'll get caught up and that I'll you know, be able to contribute when the time comes. But if I leave a meeting or I take a pause and answer a question, it's because we're doing something that's more important kind of from a personal perspective of taking care of a child. Fantastic tips. It sounds like you're absolutely on the right track. I really appreciate all of your insights. You are such a great example and also doing such interesting things. I look forward to hearing more as time goes on of all of the different projects and ventures that you get involved with. And thank you so much for joining me today on Doc Working, the whole physician podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. It was a pleasure to talk to you and hopefully we can come back and continue the conversation sometime soon. Absolutely. And then in the meantime, if someone is interested in reaching out to you, what is the best way for them to find you? I can say that I'm not the best when it comes to social media, but I'm on LinkedIn and certainly it's a great place to find me, just Brian Rothstein. You can find us at University Hospitals Ventures at uhventures.universityhospitals.org. And it's a great way to learn more about our platform as well as inquire about participating in the work that we're doing. Thank you again, and thank you for listening to Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. I'm Amanda Taran, producer of Doc Working, the Whole Physician Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to like and subscribe and head over to DocWorking.com to see all we have to offer.